This afternoon we'll find our text from God's Holy Word. It will be the, the Sixth Commandment, You Shall Not Murder. In connection with that commandment, we'll read three different passages of Scripture. First of all, we look at Luke chapter 10. We'll read together verse 25 through 37. Luke 10, begin at verse 25. We'll read God's Word. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, that's the Lord Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to me, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Do you, you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among, the, among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, and when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Let's now turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Romans 5, we'll read the first eight verses of this chapter. Romans 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for God. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the, the third reading, the final one, will be from Titus, the letter to Titus, in chapter 3, and again the first eight verses of this chapter. Titus 3, beginning verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey to, to, obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable and gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, 
is serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. And when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, and not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of, re of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. In connection with the sixth commandment, we want to read that which we confess in Lord's Day 40. Lord's Day 40, on page 555 of your book of praise. In Lord's Day 40, we confess concerning the sixth commandment, what does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor, hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds, whether personally or through another. Rather, I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. But does this commandment speak only of killing? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, such as envy, hatred, anger, and desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. Is it enough, then, that we do not kill our neighbor in any such way? No. When God condemns envy, hatred, and anger, he commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards him, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Congregation of our Lord in Jesus Christ. In the sixth commandment, we're coming to what we call the second table of the law. First five commandments are dealing with our relationship with the Lord our God in heaven. The last five commandments are dealing with our relationship with our fellow human beings. The, the fifth commandment, you shall honor your father and your mother, is kind of a transition commandment between the first table uh, to the second uh, table. And so when we now begin dealing with the second table of the law, in this sixth commandment, God now is directing our attention towards our, the relationship that we have with our fellow man. And we need to understand that when God gives us these five commandments, the last five commandments, the Lord's intention is not to try to make our lives difficult or, or hard, but he gives his commandments so that as mankind we are able to again live together. These commandments are intended to protect us from one another because God knows that sin has entered into the world and that therefore commandments are needed in order to warn against certain behaviors in order that people can again live peaceably together. And so here in the sixth commandment, the Lord God protects life when he says you shall not murder. And then in the next, the seventh commandment, God protects our marriage when he says you shall not commit adultery. Eighth commandment, he protects our property when he says you shall not steal. 
The ninth commandment, he protects our reputation when he says you shall not bear false witness. In the tenth commandment, he warns against covetous desires that cause us to harm and hurt other people, our neighbors. And as we move through from the sixth to the tenth commandment, you notice that the Lord moves. You can say from the major crime, you might say the major crime to, you might call it the minor crime, from, you can say, murder to covetousness. When we say we move from major to minor, it doesn't mean that the sins are more or less in the eyes of the Lord our God. What it means is uh, that the murder has a greater impact on, on our life than does, for example, uh, this attitude uh, that somebody uh, might have. And so each commandment, uh, then from the worst uh, impact, you have lesser impacts as we go along. And so murder... You can say, snuffs out a human life. That means it ends life. That's the end uh, of a person's life. That has the greatest effect on, on our life when you take somebody's life. Whereas adultery, well, adultery, indeed, it has a great and terrible impact upon marriage relationships and on family relationships, but we still have our life. And when somebody steals our property, again, that can be cause for great hardships, but, we still, but a person still has their life, which they can still serve in God. Now this afternoon when we're going to be focusing on murder, God forbids, and in, this, in this commandment, when God says you shall not murder, God is, you can say, dealing with the underlying corruption that we find in all of society. Murder doesn't happen just in a vacuum, but murder reveals the rotten underbelly of the society in which we are living. It points to the evil corruption that lives in the heart of all of mankind. And that corruption, beloved, cannot just be overcome with a simple command, you shall not murder. Now we will see that this command is, in order to fully carry out this command, we can only do that. It only becomes possible to carry out this command through the saving work of our Lord in Jesus Christ. It is through the living work of Christ that it is possible again for us as God's people uh, to, to love one another and to love our neighbor and to recognize the tremendous value that our neighbor's life really has. If we don't know Christ, then we don't understand the value of the life of our neighbor either. And therefore this afternoon we will confess God's word under this theme. The theme of God's command is you shall not murder. And under that theme of the command, you shall not murder, we'll look at three things. First of all, we'll see that this command shows us that we live in a world that is filled with hatred. Secondly, we'll see uh, that although the world is filled with hatred, yet God's love appeared or God's kindness appeared in the world. Paul speaks about that in Titus 3. And then thirdly, we see that God, God's de- we'll look at God's demand to love our neighbor. So the question that we begin with is, how do we now approach this particular commandment, you shall not murder? The Lord Jesus and his instructions in Matthew chapter 5 are very helpful for us to kind of get a handle on that. How, do we, how should we approach this commandment? Matthew 5, 21, the Lord Jesus was talking about how the, the spiritual leaders in Israel, how they approached this commandment. Remember, Jesus said to the people of Israel, he said, you know, you heard it said to people long ago. In other words, 
You've heard your leaders teaching you all about this, the sixth commandment, uh, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yet you've heard that so often uh, from your spiritual leaders. You have been taught to think about this commandment in that kind of way, which Jesus doesn't use the word, but he's referring to the fact that they are thinking about this commandment in a legalistic kind of way. And the leaders in Israel would say, well, you know, if you murder someone, then you can be sure that you're going to be subject to judgment, and referring then to God's eternal judgment. And so as long as you do not murder anyone, your life will be just fine. Well, on one hand, you can say that interpretation, that, that approach to the commandment was, in many ways, fairly effective in protecting the lives of the people. It often would prevent the people from taking the life of somebody else, at least thinking twice before they would do so. And so the vast majority of people in Israel, uh, they prided themselves on keeping this commandment of God because they said, you know what, we have never murdered anyone, we have never taken anyone's life. And so they could feel pretty good about themselves. Well, you notice the Lord Jesus takes a whole different approach to the commandment. He says, so that is what you have been taught by your leaders. But I tell you, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says, you fool, to somebody else, will be in danger of the fire of hell. And when you listen carefully to these words of the Lord Jesus, you realize the Lord Jesus does not take a legalistic approach to this commandment. But he says, I tell you, if you are angry with your brother, you are guilty of breaking this commandment of God. And every one of you, therefore, is guilty of murdering his or her brother or sister. For, the Lord, for when the people listen to the Lord Jesus, they, they, they will realize, you know, there is at some point we have all had anger in our hearts towards our neighbors. And if I have been angry with my brother, with my sister at some point, that means that we're all in danger of the fire of hell. It's pretty serious. And so I think we too often, beloved, we often are guilty of limiting the scope of this commandment to simply people who murder another person physically. But the Lord God has something much greater in mind. He is in mind that he wants a community of people who really care for one another, a community of people who truly love one another from the heart. And we understand from the scriptures that such a perfect community is an impossibility here on this earth. And that's the very reason why the Lord God gives this commandment for such a loving community of people that the Lord God envisions just doesn't exist here on this earth. Later on, we're going to see how the Lord God is, is busy restoring that vision that He has for mankind. How He's busy restoring that vision in our lives. But first, we need to think through what has happened to mankind. You know, when God created mankind in the beginning, they were told in Genesis 1.27 that God created man in His own image, 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 4, verse 24, you can say kind of gives a commentary on that text. When Paul writes, he says, and so we were created to be like God, created to be in the image of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul says, you know, when God created us in the beginning, you realize that God made us like himself in his own image. And that really meant this. It meant that God created us so that we were perfect, that we were without any sin, and there was absolutely not a single blemish of corruption within us. Our heart, Paul says, was righteous. Our lives were holy. That is, without any blemish of sin. So God created us in in that way. Why? Because it was God's desire that He might have fellowship and communion with us as His people. And so God's vision in the very beginning was that He might create this perfect community of people with whom He could enjoy a living relationship. Well, you know, in such a community of people, there's no need for the commandment, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Because in such a community, there is never ever a murderous thought in the hearts or in the minds of the people. When righteousness reigns in our heart, that means that no evil thought ever will arise against our fellow human being. It means that the heart will be full of concern and love for everyone else. Well, I think no such a society is very difficult for us to even begin to imagine. And yet that's the kind of society that the Lord God calls us, beloved, that He calls us to aspire to here in this commandment. That's what God calls us to in His holy gospel. Well, the Lord tells us that that perfect community that He had created in the beginning with Adam and Eve, that was destroyed when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they fell into sin in Genesis chapter 3. There Satan came through the serpent. And Adam and Eve, they they listened to Satan, the great deceiver. And you know how Satan, in a very cunning way, he comes to Eve and he begins to question God's love. Questions God's love for Adam and Eve. Remember that he said to Eve, he said, you know what, you really cannot trust God. Because there in his heart, God doesn't really care about you. God only cares about himself. And the only reason that he forbids you from eating the fruit of this tree is that he knows that the day that you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened. And then you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want that. You realize... That rebellion here, beloved, didn't begin when Adam and Eve uh, grabbed the hold of that fruit and, and they took a bite of it. That's not when the rebellion happened. No, it happened when in their heart, before that, in their heart they began to question God's motivation at the temptation of the devil. And in their hearts they became jealous of God. And they thought, We deserve the same status as God. And so they question God's motivation. Well, God is in it for himself, but we want to be just like God. We want to have the same status. 
And that's what we call rebellion. Well, by disobeying the will of God, Adam and Eve, you can say, they broke the first tablet of the law in which we're dealing with our relationship with Almighty God. But we also know that the result of that rebellion against God does not only destroy the relationship that we have with God, but immediately it also destroys the relationship that we have with our fellow human beings. Because you read that immediately after Genesis chapter 3 tells us how Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord God, then you get Genesis 4. Remember, children, Genesis 4? We have the story about Abel and Cain and what happened. Remember, Cain came and he murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous of his brother and in his anger he killed him. And so what it teaches us, beloved, is that when we break the first table of the law dealing with our relationship with God, the second table of the law is also destroyed, it's crushed. And so the devil also knew that if he could destroy the relationship between God and mankind, he could then also destroy the relationship that existed between human beings. The Apostle John writes about Cain in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, do not be like Cain. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother, that is his brother Abel. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's, his actions were righteous. So you notice, John says, Cain belonged to the evil and he belonged to the devil and therefore his heart was full of evil and envy and hatred against his brother. And now the Lord Jesus in Matthew 5, comes to the leaders of Israel, and, or he says to the leaders of Israel, he says, you belong to your father. Imagine that. He says that to these leaders who were the spiritual leaders of Israel, who prided themselves in serving the Lord God in heaven. And Jesus says to them, he says, you belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding on to the truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. You have here, beloved, is this contrast between God and Satan. God, what's his desire? God's desire, beloved, is that he might live in unity of love with his people. But the devil's desire is to promote this unity. He promotes selfishness. He promotes hatred. He promotes lies so that everyone looks out only for him or herself. So when sin came and entered into the world, it destroyed the unity that mankind had in the beginning. For now it is each man, each woman for him or herself. And the result is that hatred and anger has now entered into the heart of all of mankind, especially when others stand in the way or interfere from the goals that we have in our heart. You see, that's the point uh, that the Lord Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you know what, you are only concerned about murder, taking somebody's physical life, as if, uh, if, as if that is all you're going to be judged for. 
But you need, you need to understand, it's not just murder that destroys the relationship you have. But I tell you that you already destroy the life of your fellow man when you are angry in your heart with your brother. And that's why the, the catechism in question and answer 106 says, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the very root of murder. And the root of murder is envy, hatred, anger, and the desire of revenge, and that he regards all these as murder. And so, beloved, when, when God forbids murder, you can really say God is for speaking here about the most extreme form of rebellion uh, against God. Why? Because by murdering someone, you are taking the life of a person whom God has created in his own image, a person with whom the Lord God wants to have a living relationship. But we do not only attack someone's life by killing that person, but such an attack also begins already with the hatred and with the anger that you have there in your heart. Right? Cain, John says, murdered his brother Abel because there was hatred, there was anger in his heart against his brother. And that's why Jesus says, don't think that, that you will only face the great judgment when you murder someone physically, but you will also be judged for the attitude that lives there in your heart. And don't think that somehow murder is a greater sin than the anger than the hatred that lives inside of you. Everyone who says you fool to his brother, his sister, will be in danger of the fire of hell. That is eternal condemnation. As we reflect on this, the thing that should strike us is that we're all, every single one of us, we're all guilty of transgressing this commandment. And that means, beloved, that we're all worthy of being condemned, as Jesus says, to the fires of hell. Question and answer 105 reminds us of what God demands in this commandment. He says, if, if God demands that I have, if God says that I have great responsibility for the well-being of my neighbors, that means, question answer 105 says, that I may never dishonor, I may never hate, injure, or kill my neighbor by my thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less by deeds. And so we confess, it begins already here with my thoughts, with what I'm thinking in my mind about my neighbor. As if I have an evil thought. If I have a disparaging thought about my brother or about my sister. If I have a belittling thought about my neighbor, Jesus says that I have already murdered that person in my heart. You may wonder why. Well, how can he say that? Well, beloved, because here in my mind, I have already determined that I don't need to respect that person. And I've determined in my mind that I do not need to protect that person. And I've determined in my mind that I don't need to love that person because that person is not worthy of my respect, of my love, and of my care. In essence, in my mind, I have put that person to death. For I've said in my mind that that person is not worthy of life in my estimation. And that's a serious matter. 
when we do not think in the right way about our neighbors and about our brothers and our sisters. Now, that doesn't mean that in our minds we cannot call a brother or sister to account for some sin that they may have committed. Doesn't mean that I do not see that a brother or sister may have made an unwise decision. Well, we, there's a reality. We, we see each other's weaknesses. We, we know each other's weaknesses. And so the Lord Jesus isn't saying here that we now ignore those weaknesses and those sins in one another's lives. But it means although we see each other's weaknesses, we still respect one another. It means that I don't have a disparaging thought just because somebody has fallen into sin. In my care, my love for that person, I'm still there helping them, thinking that they are still worthy of my love because they too are someone who's created in the image of God as I'm created in the image of God. And so making judgments in which we have a contemptuous attitude towards a person is an attitude in which we write off that person as being unworthy of my love and of my care. Beloved, how often don't we do that? How often don't we belittle other people or we think less of them because of something that they have done and somehow that we were justified in writing off the relationship we have with them? No, we're all sinners. We need to recognize also that, that very fact. And therefore, in love for one another, we are called to also treat one another with honor, recognizing that we are brothers and sisters created equally in the image of God, who now also each one of us seeks and looks for our life and for our salvation in the Lord Jesus. And so I think, as we think about it in those terms, that we begin to see how often we are indeed guilty of murder in our hearts. Because I don't always honor others. But in my heart, I can have often a judgmental. I can have indeed a harsh attitude towards a brother or a sister or a neighbor. And then Christ says, that attitude you have murdered such a person. And that reality of what is living there in the mind and then will often also come out in our words. And we speak words that can be demeaning, words that can cut, words that can hurt, words that can destroy the lives of other people that may destroy their reputation or that might cut them down. How can we be unkind and unfeeling in the way that we speak to others? Especially when we don't respect them as we should. If we don't respect them in your, in your heart and your mind, uh, then you will not speak highly of them either. And you will not speak well to them with your words either. And ultimately, we destroy the lives of others in our actions when we do the very things that are going to hurt them. When we refuse to, to help others because of our selfishness, then what we're doing is we're revealing the real attitude that lives inside of us. Oh, and then we may think to ourselves, you know, I don't really have anything against that person. But we certainly don't show love. And we don't show respect when we refuse to help that person when he or she is in need. And so you see, beloved, how this commandment, it really governs the relationship that we have with our fellow man. 
So that God does not only forbid that we unlawfully take somebody else's life, but he also forbids us to destroy the life of others with our minds, with our words, and through our actions. And over against this hatred, the love of God, Paul says, appeared in the world. Paul's writing to to Titus, and in that chapter 3, Paul writes about the condition uh, of the world and the condition of mankind. And this is the world into which the Lord Jesus came, he says. And so in verse 3, chapter 3, Paul describes the world in which we, we, we belong. He says, we were all... We were, we were with all of mankind, we were enslaved to all kinds of evil passions and evil pleasures. We lived in malice and, and envy, being hated and hating one another. And when you read those words, you can say, well, what a horrible pit of depravity and, and wickedness the world has become and in which we are living. And then Paul writes these amazing words in the very next verse, verse 4. He says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. You see, beloved, God does not abandon us to our misery. For the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, Paul says, has appeared. God so loved mankind that He sent His own Son into the world. Save us from our, very, from our own destruction. Paul says he did that for you, not because of any righteousness that we had done, but because of his mercy. But the reality is that, that even though the world has rebelled against the Lord God, yet God continued to love mankind. But you might object. But isn't God angry with mankind? Didn't God condemn mankind to eternal judgment and wrath? And here, beloved, here you need to keep in mind that God's love does not take away God's justice. Remember Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 16, He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. See, the amazing thing here, beloved, is that God brings light and He brings love into a world that is full of death and hatred. All mankind is perishing. There is no hope for anyone. But here God comes. He comes with His glorious gospel message. That all believers in Christ Jesus, they will not perish, but they shall have eternal life. They're in Christ Jesus, beloved. There the love of God came and it appeared on this earth in order to save all those who are perishing. And all those who in faith now come and see the love of God in Christ, Jesus says they will not perish but they will be saved. Paul says, and God does that for us, not because of any righteous things that we have done and somehow we have earned that from God. No, it's simply a matter of the mercy of our loving God. What an awesome God we have who's shown to us His love in Christ Jesus. And then we need to understand 
that when God, what God has done by sending his son is this. God sent his son in order that he might restore a loving communion again here upon this earth. Paul writes in, in Romans 5, verse 5, these words, he says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. And so what Paul is saying, he says, you know, the wonderful result of Christ's work on the cross is that the Lord God now pours out His love into our hearts. Does that through the Holy Spirit who now lives in us. Beloved, that means that that old sinful heart that was filled with hatred, with anger, with malice is now being filled by the Holy Spirit with the love of God. So that through the power of the Spirit, God is restoring us again to a community of people as he envisioned it in the beginning. Because of his love, it is possible for you and me to again love God. And therefore, it's also, he also makes it possible for us to begin to love our brothers and our sisters and to even love our neighbors. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following, Jesus teaching us, teaches us here about our neighbor. Tells a parable about a, a man who was robbed and beaten uh, as he's on the road to, to Jericho and he's left there to die by the robbers. And first of all, he says there's a priest and, and then, then the Levite came by. These are the two religious leaders in Israel to, up to whom everybody looked. What did they do? Well, they just kind of looked and then they went and they passed by on the other side of the road and they left that man lying there on the road. And then there's a Samaritan. Samaritan, who is the great enemy of the Jews, the Jews hate, the, they hated the Samaritans. They couldn't stand each other, the Samaritans and the Jews. And the Samaritan came by, and he saw the man, and he took pity on the man, and, and he took care of the man, washing his wounds and, and bandaging them up, and, and then he put him on his animal, his donkey, and he, and he brought him to an inn where he asked the, the innkeeper to take care of this man, even paid for his care. And then at the end, the Lord Jesus asks the leaders of Israel about who, who originally asked, who is our neighbor? So who of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man? And they replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. The leaders in Israel, they didn't think that, about this man as their neighbor. And if he's not their neighbor... That means they really don't have any obligation towards this man either. And so the Lord Jesus wants to make very clear to the leaders of Israel. He says, you really don't understand what God is demanding of you in the sixth commandment. You think as long as you don't murder anyone, that somehow you, are now, you have now obeyed the command of God and that God is well pleased with you. But Jesus says, but you couldn't be further from the truth. Because by refusing to help this man who is lying there dying on the road, you have now become guilty of this man's death. Well, beloved, the example of the Samaritan also shows us that in this world there are still people, even those who might not be God's people, who show love towards others. That's important for our society. For if no one cared for others in our society, then life in this world would be impossible. And therefore, we may indeed we may be thankful that when there are nations in, in which people still respect others, 
when there are still communities in this world, in this country, where people care for each other and they're looking out for, and neighbors are looking out for the well being of others. But, beloved, we also know because of sin that stable nations and that good neighborhoods can easily and quickly become places of hatred and anger as people begin to shoot and to kill each other and they loot and they steal from one another because the relationships have deteriorated. It can happen so quickly in this world in which we live. We were reminded of this great evil when we also read about and hear about school shootings that take place in which many students, teenagers, are being mowed down and murdered. Then we know that that kind of killing is the result of hatred and anger. And yet at the same time, in the midst of it, we still see uh, that there are people who are watching out for one another in those communities and where they care for each other and they support each other. Thankfully, there are still examples of that in this world in which we live. Otherwise, the world would be an impossible place to live. But beloved, the love that Jesus Christ gives us is different from that kind of love. The love that the Lord Lord Jesus gives us is not a love that we can produce and reproduce on our own. Paul says it is the Lord Jesus who pours this love in us, in Romans 5, verse 5, by the power of His Holy Spirit. It is a love in which we learn to selflessly love others as Christ has first loved us. This new love of Christ makes it possible for us to, to even love our enemies. Let's even love our enemies as Christ loved his enemies. I couldn't do that on our own. Couldn't do that without the love of Christ being poured out in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. You see, beloved, it is through Christ that we receive a new attitude. One in which we can, uh, we again, we, we care for the well-being of our neighbors. We're very much concerned also for their eternal spiritual well-being. And we love our enemies. Why? Not because we love what they do. Not because we like uh, how they treat us. Because they hurt us. We love them because we desire also for them their salvation. And therefore, through the love of Christ, The Lord God is now creating a new community here in this world. One where the love of Christ now reigns. And that community, beloved, to be found in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that which binds us here together is our love for Christ. And when His love is being poured out into your hearts, then you will also learn to love one another. Catechism points out in question and answer 107, it is not enough to not kill our neighbor, but, says we, God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him, and to protect him from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Love it within the church, the Lord is restoring our life so that we can begin to reflect more and more His image so that as He has loved us in Christ Jesus, we now may also learn to love one another. And in that love, we learn to be patient with each other. We learn to, learn, we learn to live in peace and to deal with each other in gentleness, 
and we learn to be friendly uh, towards one another. That means that we don't look down at our brothers and our sisters. We don't look down at those who maybe haven't met, haven't reached maybe what we think they should do. No, we, we recognize also the struggles in their lives and, and we reach out to them and we care for them and we show our love for them. We're ready to, to assist one another and we're ready to protect one another in every situation. So that in this new community, beloved, hatred and anger and envy is no longer allowed to reign. We now, through Christ and through His Spirit, we now long for a community in which we are able to respect one, one another. A community in, in which we are finding that we speak words of encouragement to one another. And not tearing each other down with words that hurt and that cut. We long for a community in which we know that we are safe. Because brothers and sisters have my back and they care about me and they love me. As we long for a community where we know that we are loved by everyone. Well, you know, today, we do not yet perfectly love one another. But we do long, long for the day when Christ will come and when He will establish His kingdom for eternity. When that day comes, beloved, then the sixth commandment will no longer be necessary. For then we will love one another from the heart, even as Christ now loves us from His heart. Amen.